0: Have you ever received any bad advice? Have you ever given any? (laughs) Um, Do you do it on purpose? Uh, So a while back, Jimmy Fallon from The Tonight Show asked people to tweet in experiences of their bad advice, uh, either that they had given or received. I I think I picked only ones that people had received. a variety of things. Uh, the first one, if you have a bad cough, take a laxative, then you'll be afraid to cough. <laughs> it's not all you'll be afraid of, but um, this one, I just really enjoyed. Um, if, you, if you drink the- now keep in mind, none of these are true. Okay, uh, bad advice. If you drink the blue liquid from a Magic 8-Ball, you can see into the future. (laughs) One woman said, my sister told me, if you drink hot chocolate through a straw, it's not as hot. (laughs) She said, I couldn't taste food for a week. Um, Unfortunately, I I find that it, it seems that dads are common sources of bad advice. And I think maybe it's just because we love to joke around And we never think, what if my kids actually did what I said? Um, So one person said, my dad told me blue-eyed bumblebees don't sting. So I went around grabbing bumblebees so I could see their eye color. (laughs) Bad advice. Um, My dad told me when I started driving not to use my blinker because it was nobody's business where I was going. Uh, and uh, my dad told me that the broken escalator was voice-activated. <laughs> so I spent 10 minutes shouting, Go up! <laughs> before he told me it was broken. <laughs> All right? Bad advice. Um, so our struggle is not only with bad advice, uh, but we are in this constant battle, constant struggle Uh, to discern the difference between the way of the world and the wisdom of the Lord. The way of the Lord, uh, the way of the world, um, is uh, often rooted in self-promotion, self-protection, and a strive for power and influence. The way of the Lord is rooted in God's providence, his love, and our invitation to admit our weaknesses, to find ourselves in him, and to trust him. One brings stress and exhaustion and destruction. One brings peace, forgiveness, and wholeness. We're wrapping up our series, The Heart of the King, today, Uh, spending a little bit more time. And Solomon. And today we're going to look at First Kings chapter three at Solomon's prayer. Um, but in this struggle to understand that dis, to discern the difference and find the the best way and to do the right things, uh, S- Solomon wrote in uh, Proverbs fourteen twelve uh, that there's a way that seem that appears right, but it only leads to death. So there, there's a way that makes sense to us as human beings. We're just driven by it. We get sucked into this striving for power, self-promotion, self-protection, and it makes sense to us, but it leads to destruction. And so we don't want to go that way. We want to go the way of the wisdom of the Lord. And yet, it's not always easy to discern that. So we we're, we're going to spend some time today looking at this prayer. Um, it's kind of what, Solomon is best known for. He became king and God had this conversation with him and said, what, what would you want me to give you? And Solomon chose well. He said, I want wisdom. I want a discerning heart. Um, And so we're gonna look at this prayer and uh, as an opportunity to look for um, a few characteristics that help us recognize the posture, a faithful posture toward the Lord. But it's also important for us to recognize that, as we learned a couple weeks ago, Solomon had a divided heart. Uh, He did some things really well, and he did some things really poorly. He's a lot like us. It's similar to what we see in Saul, and even in David. Um, And as we look at the, the history of all the kings, uh, as the kingdom divided again into Israel and Judah, each nation had 20 kings after Solomon. And of all those 40 kings, eight of them, sorry, eight, <laughs> oh, eight of them are remembered as being good kings. Kings that actually followed after the Lord. So there was a lot of division and a lot of confusion about how to find the right way. And I think one of the lessons that we get from the kings, a lot of times we think, oh, if they had just made these different choices, everything would have been so much better. And while that's true, I think one of the lessons from the history of the kings is that God told his people the truth. When they said they wanted a king, he said, it's not going to be good for you. You don't need to make a hero out of another person and hope for the best and, and think that you will be stronger compared to your neighbors because you have a great king. You will be strong as you trust in me. And I think that's one of the things that we're supposed to learn as we reflect on the heart of the king. But it's also helpful, I think, uh, to take a moment to remember that Solomon was 12 years old when he became king. Um, I don't know how many of you 12 year olds in the room uh, would want that job. Um, and I don't know how many of us not 12 years old would entrust that kind of responsibility to the 12 year olds we know. Um, but I do think it's helpful as we, you know, it's, it's not really the heart of the message, but I think it's important as we reflect, you know, and we remember that our vision statement as a congregation is that we are church family, family, eagerly responding to Jesus as he transforms our world. And we're passionate about passing the treasure of the gospel on from one generation to the next. But it's also a helpful reminder that 12 year olds are capable of great and mighty things. Maybe we wouldn't entrust them to run the whole nation right now, but um, And maybe that wouldn't be so bad. Uh, But sorry. um, (laughs) but, uh, um, But I think it's important for us to remember that our kids and our students have real and authentic relationships with the Lord. And they're experiencing things. And as they process things, they often discover them in ways that are just super enlightening, in ways that we haven't—like we've been taught how to think about it and the words to use, and they often give us a fresh perspective that's really cool. And so I think just remembering the responsibility given to Solomon and how wise he was to ask at 12 years old to have this conversation with the Lord is helpful for us to remember that all the people around us, we're not just going one directional as we're trying to build each other up, but we're trying to learn from one another. Uh, even as we're trying to help people younger than us come along with us, they have a lot to share and offer us as well. So that's just an aside, and that's a freebie. Um, but we do uh, want to turn our attention to 1 Kings chapter 3 as we look for three aspects of a faithful posture toward God. So, God is having this conversation with Solomon, and Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know. to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen. A great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? So as we consider uh, three aspects of faithful posture toward God, the first thing that I see uh, as we reflect on this prayer, this conversation Solomon is having with God, is an attitude of gratitude. Acknowledging what, what God has already done, who he is and what he's done. And so Solomon goes before the Lord, and he has kind of a gracious remembrance of his dad. You know, his dad was so righteous and did all the right things. Yeah, I, someday my kids will remember me that way. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> They're not convinced. Um, but, uh, but more importantly than that, He says, you have been so faithful. You were so faithful to my father, David. And even now that I'm in this role, a 12-year-old sitting on the throne, this is still the fulfillment of the promise that you made to my dad. Like this, this calling you've given me is just an example and an expression of the faithfulness that you've already demonstrated and I trust you will continue to demonstrate. And so... Solomon goes before the Lord and acknowledges what God has already done and uh, just gives praise to him. And I think that's a really helpful reminder as we uh, measure our own posture toward the Lord to start with acknowledging what he's done, adoring him for what he's done. Sometimes we talk about that in prayer. Um, But acknowledging what he's done, what he's said, what is true— and going from there and since we're talking about Solomon today and he wrote Proverbs I decided to pull some proverbs that kind of highlight uh, some of these ideas. Proverbs 16:9 says in their hearts humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps. So it's true we're capable of lots of things as human beings But Jesus said we can accomplish nothing apart from him. And what he meant was that we can accomplish nothing of eternal significance. Nothing that matters into eternity. And so as we go before the Lord, like recognizing that he's gifted us, we have talents, we have jobs and responsibilities. There are duties before us and we've been called to carry them out and we can do lots of things. But as we start, we want to acknowledge that way more than what we can do God is over all things, and we want to entrust ourselves and the abilities he's given us to him. So that attitude of gratitude to go before him and say, God, I know you are great and mighty and awesome. You have been faithful in the past, and I trust that you will be now. You've called me to this, and I've got these ideas, but I I want to entrust them to you. I want to be guided by you. I want to be directed by you. I want you uh, to lead me. Also in Proverbs 17:22 it says a cheerful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And so we know that there are times in our lives that our our attitude doesn't feel overwhelmingly grateful as we go to the Lord. We we might be bitter, we might be angry, we might be just sad and broken. And it's important in the whole Council of Scripture for us to remember that God has given us words in those moments to go before him and to express those things. So we're not supposed to hide and only pretend that we're grateful when we're not. We're supposed to come and be honest. But there's a sense, and we learn it from the Psalms, that even when we're angry and our heart is broken, that we can go to the Lord and express the things that are true about us and how we're feeling. And we can say, I know you've said this, but this is how I feel. I really wish you would destroy these people or just take me away from here. But then to remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done. To put even our frustrations and our anger and our bitterness in, in the context of who God is and what he's done. To say Lord, I know you've been faithful in the past, and I'm going through this really hard time where all these things seem to be falling apart. And I know you've called me to trust in you, but it's really hard right now because all these things are falling apart, and I don't know how to hold them together. And so I just really need you to step in and move for me. I need you to hold me tight because I feel like I'm falling apart. But to be able to acknowledge what God has done, what he's said, that he really loves us and saves us in the midst of all the things that are true in this moment, so that what we're experiencing in the darkness and the chaos doesn't redefine our understanding of who he is, our understanding of ourselves, or our understanding of the world. And so a cheerful heart is good medicine. As we go before the Lord and acknowledge what he's done and who he is and what he's said to us, then that's good medicine. It helps us get a more full perspective. And it might not change the way we feel right now, but it at least helps us know that what we're feeling and experiencing in this moment doesn't define all of reality. Okay? So the first aspect of a faithful posture toward the Lord is one of gratitude. Second, we see Solomon pray and admit. He says, but I'm just a little kid. I've been given all these duties, but I don't even know how to carry them out. And so this this aspect of honest humility, admitting our limitations, admitting our brokenness, admitting our divided hearts, admitting that, you know, uh, it could be anything. Sometimes it's, You know, those moments in the night where you wake up and you wish you hadn't because you're just like you just had a bad dream or suddenly because you woke up. Now all the things that make you anxious just feel more overwhelming. And so to go before the Lord and say, you are great and mighty and awesome. And I know that in your presence, I don't have to be anxious about anything, but I totally am. So I pray that you would calm me. Pray that you would give me peace. Peace. Because I don't know where to find it. I can't make it up on my own. It's that kind of humility, that honest reflection of ourselves that says, I have made mistakes. I have been a rebel. I do have sin. I have a divided heart. Sometimes I'm double-minded. Sometimes I do good things and people give me credit for it, but I did it for totally the wrong reason. I just wanted people to notice me. You know? Like, we have divided hearts. And so we go before the Lord with gratitude, acknowledging who he is and how great and mighty he is and all that he's accomplished, but we also go with this honest reflection of ourselves to say, Lord, you're all that and I I am not. So some Proverbs that speak into that, uh, Proverbs 9:10, The Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Fear in this context means generally respect. Certainly, there's a healthy fear to the God who made all things and can do anything. But it's understanding that those things of gratitude, understanding who he is and what he's done and what he's said, that's the beginning of wisdom when we recognize who God is. And how great and mighty he is. And that he's the source of all good and right things. That knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And that knowledge isn't just knowledge about it. It's, it's actually knowing God and being known by him. It's, we have understanding and wisdom because we are in relationship with the one who knows all things. And so we go before the Lord humbly, admitting that he is the source of all knowledge. And we come... Because we need Him. Proverbs 35 says, "Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him." So first of all, there are so many reminders of the blessings and benefits of God's word throughout Scripture. God's just embedded all these verses throughout Scripture that remind us that what He tells us is true and trustworthy and dependable. And we can rest in him. And more than that, there are all these verses throughout Scripture that remind us that God's word, even his law, are, is life-giving. Like it's, it's good for us. And when we stay close to him and we learn the good and true things about the Lord, it like is a blessing to us. It tastes wonderful. And it, it just leads us into not perfect experience, but a good quality of life. So every word of God is flawless, and he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And so as we, I think this is, this is a helpful picture for us, because as, as we start with gratitude and acknowledge all these things that are true of the Lord, what he's already done, the love that he has for us and the grace that he's demonstrated for us, Jesus' sacrifice and his victory over death. We find that at first it feels scary. We, we have this fear, like, because we know that we're not perfect. We know we're not as good as we're supposed to be. We know that we live in a place that's broken and things don't work out the way that they're supposed to. And a lot of times it's our fault. We contribute to it. And so when we recognize how holy and perfect and amazing God is, we can be kind of scared and terrified. But when we recognize the fullness of what he's done, that not only is he righteous and perfect and holy and set apart from us, but he's also a God who desires to save us. He loves us. He made us on purpose and desires relationship with us. Then we re- so when we recognize the fullness of who God is, or at least in part, sorry, fullness, we won't quite get there for a while. Um, But then we recognize what we're grateful for is that even in our brokenness, in our limits, in our sin, God creates a safe place for us to come before him. His holiness and righteousness on its own would not be safe for us. He could destroy us at any moment because of our guilt. But Jesus came to take that guilt upon him so that we would be set free, so that when we recognize the wonder of who God is, we find a safe place to come in. And he, he doesn't destroy us. He's actually our shield. We can find refuge in him. We can find our, our identity in him. We can find our home in him. We belong with him. That's what he designed us for. But it takes coming in honest humility to admit that we don't belong there except that he's made a space for us. He is great and mighty. We are broken and he he can hold us. And Finally, we get to that part that Solomon is famous for. He asked for a discerning heart. He asked for wisdom. And so in our posture, our faithful posture toward the Lord, we start with, Gratitude, acknowledging who God is. We come with an honest reflection and admission of where we are. And we also pursue a discerning heart, uh, becoming a, a person of courageous compassion. Not only one who's right, but also somebody who is good and kind. Wisdom is knowledge that is rightly applied. Okay? So, we know these good things, these true things, and then we live them out. It's, it's similar, I think, uh, to the Hebrew concept of listening that is always paired with obedience. Listen and obey. We know these things and we want to see them applied in our lives. We want to put them into practice. We want to be that kind of person. Um, we want to be wise. And I think uh, the message has a helpful rendering of 1 Kings 3.9. In the message version, it says, uh, Here's what I want. Give me a God-listening heart, so I can lead your people well. Discerning the difference between good and evil. For who on their own is capable, of course Solomon says capable of leading your people? But I think it's a helpful question and we can fill in the blank with whatever we're called to, the duties and responsibilities that we've been given. Who on their own is capable of whatever you've called me to, Lord? But I want to be a God, lis- I want to have a God-listening heart. I want to be close to you. I want to listen well to what you've said, what you've told me, how, you've, how you're at work in my life and I want to follow closely to where you lead that I will be able to discern and help others discern as well the difference between good and evil. Not only right and wrong, but good and evil. And we'll talk about that a little bit in these next Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 17 says, Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Now this is a very egocentric way to look at it. Um, but the contrast is what's important um, for us to understand it. Certainly those who are kind of benefit other people as well. And cruel people don't benefit other people. But the proverb is saying that when you're kind and you think you're helping others, you're actually serving yourself as well. And when you're cruel and you think you're only hurting other people, you're also hurting yourself. We want to have, have discerning hearts so that we can be kind and gracious people. As God has poured into us, we want to offer that to other people. Proverbs 14, says, It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. This proverb helps us see that the context for what God calls us to is not just being people who know the truth and are right. But wisdom goes further and applies that in ways that are, are compassionate, kind, and life-giving. That doesn't mean that we hold back the hard truths, but it it does flavor and characterize the way we we offer those truths. Um, for example, and there's not really a way to do this one in a life-giving way, But uh, I, at times, and I try to fight it, I at times correct people's grammar, especially in my home. Um, And everyone who's corrected by me doesn't feel like I've served them well. They just think I'm a smarty pants who's trying to prove what I know, okay? So we don't want to be the smarty pants people. And it reminds me a bit of a passage that I I talk a lot about because it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And I probably say that about a hundred different passages, but this one comes up a lot in Romans chapter 5. And I think Romans chapter 5 verses 6 and 7 echo what we see here about um, the one who's kind being a blessing to those in need. You see, Romans 5 6 says, But at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse 7 says, Now very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. But for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And the distinction there is that no one who's just a smarty pants, who's right all the time, no one would die for them. No one would lay down their lives for them and be like, oh, you've scolded me all the time for being wrong and I just want to help you out now. No, you run from those people. But for a good person, someone who's kind and compassionate, who knows the right thing and tries to bless you with it, you might try to serve them even with your life. So then, of course, we get to verse 8, which reminds us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So he didn't, He didn't die because we were good people. He certainly didn't die because we were right. He died because we were weak and needy, rebellious. He died for us at our worst. But as we go to the Lord with gratitude for all that he's done, that he is the God who, over all things, the God who loves us and saves us, the God who made us on purpose... And we go humbly before him and acknowledge that he's great and mighty and awesome but we are weak and broken. We have divided hearts. Sometimes we try to do things well and they blow up and sometimes we don't want to do the right thing. But as we go before him and allow him to do his work in us, we say, Lord, help us be wise and discerning people that we would have discerning hearts that what we know is right would also be mixed with what we know is loving, and we would bless others with that. So in this prayer, I think we find a form that helps us also have a good conversation with God. This is maybe the height of of Solomon's good work right at the beginning. Um, He did other good things, built the temple. I don't want to minimize that. Um, But I think this prayer is kind of at his best, and the way God responds shows us that this prayer was, was offered well, and there might be things for us to learn from it, because God gave Solomon not only the wisdom he asked for, but also the things that he expected any human would ask for, the power and the success and the wealth and all that stuff. He blessed Solomon with all of it. But we're reminded even in this form that it's not about doing this right. We can't make good things happen just because we proved that we were grateful and humble and We started to be wise. But in fact, exercising our discerning heart is oftentimes going before the Lord and saying, I'm not sure which way to go here, or I really want to go this way, but I think you've told me this, or I'm really confused, Lord. And sometimes having that discerning heart is just the willingness to have our own sin and brokenness and divided hearts exposed, so that we can lay that before the Lord honestly. Say, You are the great and mighty one. Clean me up. Make me clean. Make me whole. I want to follow where you lead. And what He's demonstrated for us is that He's always here, always ready to respond when we ask for that help. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. This morning and we do. We want to acknowledge that you are great and mighty and awesome. You are among us. There's no one like you. You're also exactly who we need. You're the only one who can rescue us from our sin, from our brokenness, from the darkness of the world. You are the one who brings hope and healing, forgiveness and restoration. We pray that you'd do that in us. And as you do, we pray that you would make us more like you. We pray that you would give us discerning hearts. That we would have God-listening hearts. We pray that you would lead us into further conversations with you, honest conversations. That we would lay all things before you, And that you would guide us in our plans. That you would be our leader. That you would just continue to show, reveal yourself as the God who shows up. The God who's here. The God who always is and who is always at work. Because you're the hero of the story. So we thank you for this prayer from Solomon. We thank you for this scene in his own life. We pray that you would use it in ours to draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.